welcome to the Dirt Reporters for the week of March 22nd. I'm your host, D. Swab, Derek Kessinger. Joining me today is Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And guys, no racing this past weekend. A lot of things got rained out, bad weather, typical March stuff. But I got to say, Kovac, I am sore from watching four straight days of basketball all day long. You know, I got a little stretching in in between, like, some commercial breaks, but a lot of emotions were going through it, but how about your Philly teams this past weekend? Making some noise, Fairleigh Dickerson, uh, Princeton in the Sweet 16. It's a good day for the, the Philly Nation over there, right? You were pumped up. You even sent me that text message. You were fired up. I didn't, they're not they're not big five from Philly here. This is New Jersey schools with the big upsets. New it's Jersey. Fairleigh Dickinson. New Jersey, my bad. Come on, New you got to get that right. They just... A number 16 just won, and New you Jersey. called him Fairly Dickerson. Come on, D-Suave. It's the New Jersey basketball coming through with uh, Fairly Dickinson and Princeton. Uh, Princeton in the Sweet 16 even too, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's my home, my, my native state, New Jersey there. Coming. They had St. Peter's, remember them too? They had a good run a couple – what was that, last year, year before, whatever? Uh, some of these, these little school – New Jersey schools are having some good – uh, good results in the tournament, I guess. Philly, New Jersey, it's all in that same general area up there. They're all pretty close. Uh, <laughs> my bad to FDU. My bad to Princeton. The you know the big time Ivy League school head of the Sweet Sixteen. They dominated Mizzou in that Saturday game. Robert, our Blue Bloods just couldn't get her done this week. Past weekend, uh, Duke on the got absolutely manhandled, mauled against Tennessee, and then uh, Kansas State. And uh, Kentucky in an instant classic. I thought it was one of the better games of the tournament. They just fell short. But, yeah, our Blue Bloods were out of the Sweet 16. No Kansas as well. Just That's what happens. Everybody, all targets are on our back when we're Blue Bloods. The, uh, the game has changed uh, tremendously with the, with the portal. With, uh, uh, with the win and dones is not what has changed the game so much as, as the, the portal. It's even things out. And I'm not uh, 100% sure if you'll see our teams. You know, I'm a diehard Kentucky fan. You're a Duke fan. Uh, you know, Kansas gets thrown out. Uh, North Carolina doesn't make the show. I'm not sure if you'll see teams like that have long dominating stretches anymore like uh, like they were when we, I was growing up especially. Uh, just because the transfer portal has really, uh, I think it's even the playing field. So, uh, so when you first started talking about basketball, I kind of forgot that the tournament was still going on. You know, Kentucky loses, it's over, right? There's no – the season ends. Yep. My, no. my season ends when Kentucky loses. So, uh, I won't watch another game. That's just the way I am. I'm stubborn that way. So, uh, my son was in here this morning talking about who – could possibly come back next year so he's already looking looking toward next year and i guess i will too but my basketball season is over i guess in a few weeks you guys can let me know who who won the national championship well we're very sorry about that robert that uh you're gonna cancel basketball the rest of the season i know it's a heartbreak uh hotel when big blue nation gets uh bounced out of the tournament uh, i was pretty devastated on saturday even though we got our butts kicked from start to finish Kyle, you guys just went through a wagon, though. Your boys, Maryland, they uh, had to play Alabama. They played good the first half, but that team's pretty damn good down there in uh, in the SEC country. 
Yeah, I thought, you know, based off of you have two uh, number one seeds that are now not playing in the tournament because they got knocked out, right? And you're thinking, well, you know, maybe this is uh, the year that majority of the number ones are going to get knocked out before the Sweet 16, and then Alabama, you know, rolls over on my Terps. So um, I'm I'm just glad personally that we beat West Virginia. Uh, that's that is a I'll take that, you know, to get ousted in the second round, but to beat West Virginia, um, you know, those those hey, back home border, in Maryland here. Border war win there. Take pride in uh, – what you say there, Derek? <laughs> I said it was a border war win. You got to take those when you can get them. Exactly. It, exactly. So uh, I'll take it, uh, even though we're ousted here in the second round. I mean <laughs> – my Maryland basketball, you know, Terps, they uh, have, it's been tough sledding in the NCAA tournament in recent years. So just glad to get a win and, you know, maybe build on next year. But uh, yeah, you know, March Madness uh, without uh, our typical number of high volume of races, uh, you know, this past weekend uh, created some more time to just kind of kick back and, and uh, watch some March Madness. So, yeah. Yeah, and we want to continue this March Madness theme. We're going to use some terms that you hear on the basketball tournament because a lot of people love the NCAA tournament. A lot of people love dirt late model racing, obviously, because they listen to this show. So we're going to do a little bit of uh, some terms. We're going to go with some drivers, crew chiefs, and stuff like that. So Kovac, this past weekend, FDU, this past weekend, Prince, those New Jersey area-based schools got the W's. Now they're considered Cinderella's, which we hear a lot of the glass sip, slippers fitting right now for them. We've seen it in years past. I think the most common one that I can remember growing up was George Mason, you know, when they got to the Final Four there. Uh, what is just one of your favorite best Cinderella stories that we've seen in dirt late model racing? So basically for maybe some people that don't watch the NCAA tournament, it's kind of like an underdog story or an upset at a big marquee dirt late model race. So what comes to mind for you, Kevin Kovac? Uh, well, I always go back to this one, uh, one instance, uh, one race back in 2007. Uh, I mentioned it this week in Fast Talk also uh, when we talked about our most memorable upset wins that we've seen. And it was uh, I mean, Labor Day weekend 2007, Tri-City Speedway, Pennsylvania, World of Outlaws race, and big brother Dan Stone. Uh, Thompson, Pennsylvania, he won the out. It was his first outlaw win, and it came – kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he was running probably about seventh, eighth or something uh, with his family owned number 21 D, you know, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't, wasn't all flashy looking or anything, just had some dents and some scratches in it. And, uh, and, and here, here all of a sudden he just started passing everybody. He's got and all outlaw guys at, at that year. I mean, Steve Francis and Josh Richards and all these guys, he just starts going by him, by him, by him. He got hooked up on the inside of the track and went by them all to win the race. And I can just never forget the, you know, it, it, and it was like when we talk about the Cinderella's in the NCAA tournament, uh, like when Fairleigh Dickinson won and Princeton won, you, you feel that like even through the television, uh, the, the atmosphere, the fans getting into it more and more. And, and, and I think it's, it's almost like they're, they're giving that team, that underdog kind of a little extra emotional push uh, and, and that's what it seemed like. I mean, obviously Dan Stone couldn't hear the crowd 
as he's pulling off all these passes that year at Tri-City. But the crowd, you could see them, you could feel them just getting into it more and more. They're like, they, they, they noticed that something special was happening, that this, this underdog that nobody never won an outlaw race, never won a big, real big race like that at that time uh, was pulling something off. And, and when he won that race, he got a standing ovation. He got out of the car in victory lane and, I, I, it was one of those weird moments where I, I don't, I can't remember many times seeing this, anything like this. It was just so natural. It just happened. Everyone's standing up, giving him a, 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 a you know, a, a standing O. And then afterwards, and I was with the world of outlaws at that time doing the PR and we got him to we're like, man, we got to keep this, this feeling going. It was so, so cool. And we brought him over with his race car behind the grandstands and, he sold every T-shirt he had. He talked to everybody. I mean, that was just one night I'll never forget. Obviously, Dan Stone will never forget. Anybody who was there will never forget it, too, because uh, it, it was really, really, really neat. Yeah, and also Dan Stone and his Dan Stone and his brother are like the best two people in the pit area. Super nice. Uh, <sighs> always uh, positive vibes. And dad and dad, the whole family there, right? Everybody with the stones. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a that's a great that's a great pick there, Kovac. I remember you uh, told me that story in the past. So yeah, big brother, big time win for World of Outlaw actions. Uh, Robert Holman, what comes to mind for you for a nice Cinderella story for the Smarts Madness themed dirt late model party we're having today? Man, it's it's hard. It's hard to pick one that just is like a guy who you didn't expect to win. Obviously, I've seen a bunch of races, but it's hard to pick one that just jumps right off the the map at me. Um, I'm probably I'm probably gonna go with a a, a race a, a driver who we didn't expect to win as the race was coming down to its finish. And that was in 2008, the Southern Regional Racing Series race at Duck River. Uh, Dane Dockus was uh, trailing. I think it. I think it was uh, uh, Randy Weaver and and someone else. He was running third there towards the finish. And I actually, uh, I'm pretty sure I actually wrote that story for Dirt on on Dirt. That was like one of the first stories that I had that I'd written for, uh, for dirt on, I think dirt on dirt started in what 2007. And so, uh, you know, I write that, uh, that story in 2008. So that was, that was one of the first stories that I had written for the website, uh, before I became a full timer. So I think he was chasing Ray cook and yes, Randy Weaver. So, they're at the finish. There's no way. I mean, Ray Cook and, and Randy Weaver are heading towards the finish, and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna settle this thing between themselves, right? Forty seven laps, three to go. They've been battling, and all of a sudden, Dane Doggins just comes out of nowhere. He is like, "Who is this? Who is this guy?" Obviously, he had won, you know, Southern Regional Racing Series events before, but where did he come from today? And he he winds up passing for the lead on the wall, sparks flying. And I think I've told this story before, in fact, on on the show. But he winds up passing them, sneaking by them on the wall, 
you can see underneath this car, two wheels in the air as he goes under the flag stand, sparks flying, crowd goes crazy, the crowd erupts. And uh, I remember uh, Todd actually wrote a story, a follow-up story and talked to, to Dane like the next day and he was at his shop replacing like shocks and control arms and body work and replacing all this stuff under his car where he had tore up all this stuff to win this $5,000 to win race. But that's one of those uh, races that I always look at. Like this guy gave every bit of effort, 110%. He did not settle for second and $2,500 and, and less work to do. He didn't settle for third and probably 1200 or 1500 bucks and no work to have to do when he got back home. This guy left it all out on the racetrack, just like all these Cinderella teams do in March Madness. This guy went for the win through the Hail Mary, whatever, the, the half court shot at the end, and it, and it paid off. Uh, and it was a thrilling, thrilling finish and, and probably one of the most exciting finishes that I've uh, I'd have ever seen uh, at Duck River or anywhere for that matter. And I'm just glad that I was there to, to – cover it in 2008 for dirt on dirt as uh as not a young freelancer i was an old still an old guy but i was was i was on the on board early so glad i was there to cover it it was a hell of a race two for one there robert putting your cinderella story with a nice buzzer beer those are always the ones you remember in march so i like that pick It was, it was a great show. I mean, I don't know. You, you can't, you know, you just can't argue with how exciting that finish was. Right. Yeah. Phenomenal race. Uh, when every time a guy's sparking an arc and hitting that uh, checkered flag, the winner, the place will burn down and go bananas. A good choice there. Kyle McFadden. How about your Cinderella story? What do you got for us? Yeah, I, um, I think the one race that jumps out in my memory is the 2018 uh, USA 100 at Virginia Motor Speedway. And I also put this in my fast talk too this week, but that's when Tyler Bear, uh, his first ever super late model win uh, that year, a $20,000 victory um, over Brandon Overton and Dale McDowell. And so um, that year, I mean, just like that race and that year, just like going into that race, like that car that he won with in Barry Klein, Klein Dent's um, number 43A, right? I mean, it's had so much uh, success in previous years and prior years with Jason Coburn and Mason Ziegler. So it's not like that car wasn't capable of getting it done that night. But, you know, that was Tyler's first super late model season on a full full time level at least or full scale. And so I just uh, was digging back through the dirt wires. And uh, that was obviously before I, I came on here with dirt on dirt, but I was just in attendance in that race. And I didn't even realize that he had started ninth in that 60 lap race and um, just uh, reading through the dirt wire here and, or uh, sorry, race wire uh, that he took the lead with four laps to go. And um, I do, uh, remember that now when Tyler Millwood, he had led most of that race, but he had a flat tire with four laps left. And um, Tyler had kind of worked his way 
through the field. He, he, he passed Dale McDowell, who started fifth and and uh, had put himself uh, in the right place at the right time. And uh, on that restart there with uh, only four laps left, had to hold off Brandon Overton and Dale McDowell. Um, and so and uh, obviously anybody who's been to Virginia Motor Speedway, those longer races, right, that uh, abrasive track surface, um, there's always uh, a noticeable amount of right rears or just tires going down in general. And so I just uh, re remember that race being, um, you know, just the race that Tyler Bear, you know, put himself on the map and, and uh, in late model racing. And so, but just how he got it done, not only uh, to top Brandon Overton and Dale McDowell, but just in those conditions where quite honestly, you know, after Tyler Millwood had slowed with his flat tire, you know, knocked him out of the lead. Um, everybody else was thinking, you know, how long is Tyler going to hold up for, but he got it done that race. And, and, uh, you know, as far as the crowd reaction, you know, him growing up, not too far, uh, in rock, Rockbridge bats. I think that's his hometown in Virginia, not too far from Jamaica, Virginia, uh, where, of VMS is. And so, uh, definitely a crowd favorite, uh, the, the crowd that night certainly welcomed him in victory lane. And, and I'll just, uh, I won't forget that race. And, and so for, for that to be his first super late model win, he hasn't had many super late model wins since he's, you know, pri primarily racing, uh, steel block late models now kind of scaled it back a little bit from the super late model scene, but um, you know, that is for sure the one race that uh, sticks out for me personally. Yeah. Heck of a race there, Tyler bear. He also has great flow too. He has kind of like that mullet haircut too, which is always, always clutch and looking swaggy uh, on the basketball court or the dirt, dirt track race. So uh, I'm going to go with kind of like when there's an upset in that Northeast region and you have, uh, teams that are both in the Northeast. I know last week we had Iona and Connecticut. Connecticut won that one. But uh, when you had uh, Vermont beating Syracuse way back when, it was in like Albany, New York, so Vermont. There's plenty of fans there. So I'm going to go with the local guy winning at the Show Me 100 in 2020, Peyton Looney. Uh, home track, Wheatland, 26 years old at the time. Had a few kind of regional wins, stuff like that. But him win the Show Me 100 on a you know the reschedule because he got pushed back because of COVID from May to July, picking up a twenty thousand dollar payday, his biggest win of his career to win in your home state like that, the biggest race in your home state that's been going around for a long time, a top ten dirt late model race. Yeah, I might have had that, that full time luster as we're used to seeing of it being uh, in May, but I don't know, Kovac. I think Peyton Looney winning there at uh, Wheatland at his home track, been going there for years, sitting in the, remember his quote, like sitting in the West Plains hillside watching the race every single year and to finally win that. You could tell he's very, uh, very happy about that win. He uh, held back tears. It was a big time emotional win for uh, Peyton Looney that night. Yeah, that was huge. And that was that year that we, that the race was run in July. Actually, we thought there wasn't even going to be a show me 100 with the, with the COVID, uh, uh, situation uh, you know knocking it out on, on memorial day weekend but they did schedule it for uh for july 
and um, Peyton, Peyton Looney really was happy that it happened. I'm sure about that. Uh, it was, so it was only the second time a, a home state guy, a guy from Missouri has won the show me 100 too. He joined Terry Phillips. So uh, that, that added a little bit more to, to meaning to that, to that win form. I mean, just to have all those people, it's always cool when you see, uh, a Cinderella and any local guy. I mean, any guy that winning at their big race at their home track, but then it just accentuates when, uh, when you have a guy like him, that's never won a national touring race and he pulls off a win like that. Yeah. Another honorable mention. I don't know if it's really a big time Cinderella story. Probably like maybe a nine seed eight or nine is when Eddie carrier jr. Won the show, uh, North South 100. That was a pretty, badass as well and everybody was cheering for him so that wasn't a big time cinderella story but that one kind of caught my eye as well when he you know shocked the world to pass jimmy owens who at the time was pretty much unstoppable there at florence speedway Kovac, right back to you hey, your favorite hey, buzzer Brad, beater hey. ak your favorite Derek. oh Jer- jared landers i'm sorry jared landers winning the topless 100 definitely ranks up there as a as kind of an underdog coming through because i think wasn't that his first super late model win or something yeah, first uh, super late model win. That was the track. First and, yeah, right. Yeah, and he hot. wins the topless one hundred. I mean, a lot of tire deal, Maybe. but it was still an upset. It was a big one. That's a big one too. Through, uh, good through the helmet Robert in the grandstand, does. right? Then he tosses helmet in the grandstand. Yeah, definitely one too, of the best and... scenes. <laughs> best one of the one of the best scenes in dirt late model history. And then afterwards, it was so hot that day. I think Todd Turner almost died, according to Michael Riggs, because it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, 110-plus yeah. heat index. And he had to go up and down that hill. If you ever been to the topless 100 to get to the pits, you have to go down this huge hill. And you don't think it's that bad unless it's like 110 degrees on a Sunday afternoon. So that's a that's a great one there too, Robert. All right, Kovac, buzzer beater, last lap pass. What do you got? What are you kicking us off with? I'm going back to 2014. I, I could go to why I've already mentioned this one before. I think uh, the buzzer beater, the, the great buzzer beater with Bur- Brian Burkhofer winning uh, at, at the Knoxville Nationals over Scott Bloomquist on the last lap. The weekend he announces retirement. But I'm going to go back a little bit farther that year, a little bit earlier that season to June to the dream weekend when uh, it was Brian Burkhofer, another last lap pass. He wins over Rick Eckert in one of the 25 lap prelims. Uh, Eckert was driving the rocket chassis house car at that time. Uh, Berkey pulls off a pass, you know, with a lapped car and underneath, uh, goes underneath a lapped car and Eckert on the last lap three and to three and four and wins. But they did. He thought he lost and Eckert thought he won the race at that point. If you remember, uh, it was such a close, close finish. The transponder actually had Eckert ahead uh, by like, a you know, a, a thousandth of a second or I mean, it was that close. And then it was like going back, then the whole situation became going back to the video. It was like the referees in the basketball game going over the scores table and and checking out this, uh, making sure that ball came out of the guy's hand just before the, the buzzer went off. And uh, and they took probably five, ten minutes looking at this video. Because, and Roger Slack was the general manager then at Eldora, and, and he had said, you can't the, – the, the line, the transponder wire – it's in the dirt. It's not perfectly straight, and it's not right on the finish line. We go by the flag stand there at Eldora, and uh, and when they went to the video, you could – I mean, it was just – I mean, it was slight, but Burkhofer was just ahead by inches, uh, maybe just an inch, <laughs> and, and he ended up getting the win. 
Uh, I, I always recall every both teams standing over to the so they wouldn't let either driver up onto the stage at first, even though Eckert had, you know, was, yeah. was first on the transponder. Uh, they had to go look at, it was so close. They had to look at the, at the video and, and they finally gave it to Burkhoffer. So, I mean, I think that was a pretty cool buzzer beater. That's like one of the few times, Kobach, that I will allow the referees to go look at the monitor during a situation. <laughs> a lot of times under the two minutes, they go there a lot. And especially if you get three or four in a row at a time, it kind of ruins the, the mojo of the game and the, the, the tempo of the game. But, hey, that was a good one. Rick Ecker had a good quote that night saying afterwards to our own Ben Shellen, I don't understand if we're going to you know, count qualifying with their transponders and we're going to use them. I don't understand why we don't use that for the winner. So he was kind of upset there when he was substituting for, you know, uh, Mark Richards and uh, racing for Josh Richards for Mark Richards, as I should say. Uh, Robert, what do you got for your buzzer beater? Because you had a good one this last time around with your Cinderella story, but there's got to be there's got to be another one that comes to mind because there's been plenty of last lap heroics in dirt late model racing. I don't know about heroics more than just being in the right place at the right time. And I'm going to go with a buzzer beater that not only that, that didn't actually win a race, but won a championship. And that's uh, 2011 at Charlotte when Rick Eckert is trailing Josh Richards heading to the white flag. Josh Richards winds up having a flat tire. Eckert passes him and the world of outlaws championship that is uh that that was a pass that you know i think um i think eckert was probably just about to settle for second in the world of outlaws championship as they take the white flag you know i mean he's not much he can do and all of a sudden uh because i think he was coming into that race he was ahead of Josh Richards maybe by a couple of points, but then with Richards ahead of him on the track, there was there was little he could do coming to the white flag, and it's one of those deals where tires came into into play, and who thinks that a flat tire, of, you know we've seen a, if you've been to sh anywhere in the Carolinas, you've seen flat tires cost races, but this flat tire cost Josh Richards a championship and Rick Eckert was there to, to pounce and take advantage and pass him. And, uh, I'm not really, I can't remember. Kevin was there. I think I'm not really sure where, where, uh, Rick finished in the race, but I know Josh finished well back in like 16th, 17th way on back. But, uh, but Eckert was there close enough to get by him once, uh, once Josh's tire started going down and uh and so that was a last lap heroics taking advantage of someone's misfortune but last lap heroics for an entire season championship which was was pretty huge and i think that that's eckert's only world about lost right uh kevin yeah so i mean big big for him uh that's that's my last lap my my buzzer beater right there is is and, and you know we saw a team in this basketball tournament take advantage of another team's mistake at the very end to win a game when the kid threw the ball up in the air and instead of kind of throwing it away or whatever he throws the ball up in the air and the other team gets it and makes that three at the end to win 
that's kind of kind of the same situation, you know, Josh, a mistake, you know, on their part, their tires didn't make it all the way or they ran over something and Rick Eckert was there to take advantage of it. So kudos to him, his only world of outlaws chip because of that. Yeah, cool side note. There was Teletubbies in victory lane after Eckert won the championship. I always remember that uh, funny shot that uh, Rigsby got back in 2011 for Scrubs' big-time win there. Uh, Kyle McFadden, how about you, buddy? Yeah, there's a few of them that come to mind. I guess the one that's most recent was when Brandon Overton swept around uh, Ricky Thornton on the last lap to win the Saturday night uh, finale at Golden Isles. Um, And so... You know, that was, you know, I've seen a few buzzer beaters, you know, so to speak, uh, in my lifetime of just watching races. And, and, you know, that's the most recent one, perhaps the most enthralling one that I can think of. But another one also that uh, comes to mind, too, that maybe wasn't, it was, it'll certainly, you know, it counts as a buzzer beater, but but it wasn't maybe as um, as exciting uh drag race back to the line like we saw uh at golden isles but it was uh the 2021 uh lucas oil race at hagerstown and and i've mentioned it a few times on this show when uh talking about um fantastic finishes when tim mccready was stalking uh ricky thornton jr for uh that 50 lap race that went caution free and and uh I could tell that Tim McCready was saving something, um, sizing up a last lap move, so to speak, or a move late in that race. And so basically, um, you know, it was a last corner slide job that he had executed there on Ricky Thornton Jr. to uh, take take the win that season. And uh, so that one also comes to mind. And then, you know, as Robert was describing uh, Rick Eckert's, late rise there, uh, come back, uh, to, to win the championship, uh, his only outlaw championship, uh, that also takes me back to, uh, also 2021 when, uh, Dylan Yoder, uh, literally, uh, won the Port Royal track championship on the last lap of the season when he got by Gary Stuhler. Uh, on the literal, actually, it oh, may have been come the on. last no, corner. Gary Stewart, hate. Oh, heartbreak. Uh, I know. I just saw him this past weekend too when I went to uh, the sprint car race at Lincoln. Saw Gary Stuhler there. So that also, uh, you know, brings me back and or brings that memory back to of uh, remembrance. But yeah, no, that was total heartbreak city there for Gary. And I was sitting around some of his family that night too, and. You know, there was definitely some devastation, you know, just like watching that play out in real time with his friends and family. And I felt gutted there for Gary and uh, obviously other Yoders, too, are are, are a pretty big name up in the Pennsylvania area. So they were obviously excited and, and, uh, you know, reacted in a way of like it literally like that was probably the closest moment that I had felt to in racing to it being like feeling like a legitimate buzzer beater. Cause I coach basketball too. And so you just, obviously after every, you know, either end that you're on either 
in devastation that, oh my gosh, you know, we led this whole game, lead this whole race, and then that happens. Or you're trailing the whole race, you're trailing the whole game, and then somehow you find a way to pull it off. And it's just everything just kind of explodes um, around you. And so that was definitely, um, you know, a rare night in uh, late model racing to have a championship come down to the last last corner so um yeah those are just some buzzer readers that come to my mind and and uh, but i will definitely not forget that night and uh yeah heartbreak hotel there for mr stuhler he was uh, gonna pick up another track championship and uh i would have liked to see that personally you know selfishly for him but yeah you know that's just how it goes sometimes i guess all right, I'm checking my notes here. Was the question I asked Suave's biggest heartbreaks in dirt late bottle history? Oh, you just had no, that wasn't <laughs> it. I just said cool buzzer readers. Come on, Kyle, my boy Stuhler. No, Don't man. Man be sad. No, oh, not at all. You know, it's uh, March sadness. It's, uh, it, it, uh, there is March sadness too. There is only one obviously champion that can, um, you know, come out of March madness and, and, uh, you know, there's always that other agonizing end of being, or, you know, just like being on the other end of a buzzer beater too. There's also that devastation to, uh, yeah. So, um, not to be a Debbie Downer, but <laughs> yeah, it's just like all the emotions that come from it. Right. So, um, exactly. Yeah, you know so, it is what it is. Sure. It's fine. I'll t- you'll, we'll let you have your. We'll have let you have your Dylan Yoder victory. <laughs> All right. So mine's like kind of equivalent to like the 1972 uh, when the Soviets beat the United States. A little controversy. I know it's not the NCAA tournament, but it's still basketball. Uh, Macon Harold Review 100. Bobby Pierce is getting ready to cross the checkered flag. He's the United States in this scenario, but. When he's crossing the line, they call it yellow because Ryan Unzicker wrecks on the back stretch. So you think Pierce is the winner. All of a sudden, Ruben's going, no, no, too lit, lit. We're having a one-lap shootout here at Macon. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And little, and I know Gordy Gundaker, I don't think he has any Russian beliefs or anything, but he is the Soviet Union's in this scenario. Uh, Bobby Pierce is pretty much unbeatable at Macon at times. On the restart, it's a one-lap shootout. Bobby jumps the cushion in one and two, gets sideways in three and four, and Gordy Gundaker picks up his back-to-back at the time. Harold Review 100 wins, uh, kind of like just snuck one out of there. Uh, the whole place is going bananas. You have guys, and or not guys, fans, giving the bird to the officials because they wanted Bobby Pierce to win. Gordy Gundaker has his fans because he picked up the win the year before, so he was kind of becoming a big-time uh, celebrity there at Macon during the Herald and Review 100. He gets the win on the last lap pass. So I call it the Herald and Review 101 as Gordy got the job done. But it was just one of those crazy uh, crazy nights where you had a weird, bizarre scenario where they're crossing the finish line. You go back to the video, it does look like the yellow light comes on before Bobby crosses the start-finish line. So a lot of controversy, a lot of uh, just uh, urban legends to this race. But, in fact... It didn't matter because the buzzer beater ended up being Gordy Gundaker. Kovac, that's just one of the ones that come to my mind. I thought that was a pretty cool buzzer beater. Not a big-time event, but it was just one that stuck out with me just because you really did think Bobby won the race at the time. 
Yeah, that's kind of tough on Bobby there. <laughs> you know, you see the checkered flag basically in the fly, in the starter's uh, hand, and it doesn't uh, come over your car, and you got to do another one, and then uh, yeah, and he and was then you checked end up out losing. like he it's, was. Yeah, yeah, he was like checked out too by a whole turn, like so it was pretty much over. Like he was dominant that whole night, but that's how it falls sometimes. And Gordy Gundaker capitalized it. Kovac, best coach. We have Coach K, Dean Smith. Your boy Jim Beheim, uh, Tom Izzo. These are just the characters and legends of the sport. Uh, who do you think? In may, it could be the car owner, it could be a crew chief. I know we kind of touched on crew chief last last week, so we might get a repeat. But who are you going to take going into the NCAA tournament, going into a race season? Which car owner or team or uh, just kind of a person on your side would you want to have? I guess you could have a mascot because Sister Jean carried. Loyola to a Final Four one year. So you could do like kind of a mascot or something like that if you wanted to. Uh, well, I, I, I luckily I can go first so I can make my pick. And, and uh, the Bill Belichick, I guess, of uh, or or you could say maybe the uh, or the or the Shashevsky or the or, the, or yes, these guys, you know, the, these Coach these, K. He's got the blue Coach in K of Mark Richards. You know that, right? I mean, come on. And like. He he's not the Danny White is the crew chief now of the Rocket Chassis House Car team. Mark is the owner and the overall guy. Uh, but it, it's the the things that he can see on the racetrack. The how much I mean, and he's been around so long. Like it's it's just like a Coach K, who had been around for for so many years and seen so many games. I mean, he senses what's going on on that on that court, and that's exactly. And he remembers everything almost, it seems like. He knows what to do, and he can call on so many things from his uh, memory memory bank, and, and that's what Mark Richards does. And and he, you see what he's able to do with with Josh Richards, with Brandon Shepard, with now Hudson O'Neill, the way he's brought these young guys along uh, and, and really uh, – you know, molded them into the drivers that they that they are or or now with Hudson is becoming. Uh, you saw it was like a microcosm almost during speed weeks with Richards and and, and O'Neill, where Hudson starts off slow and uh, was having some doubts about everything, and Mark stayed with him, stayed on him, uh, told him what he needed to do, and just kept saying, "You got to run hard. Do not do not think about it too much. You, I want. You're a rocket chassis house car driver. You run that thing hard." By the end of at Volusia during Dirt Car Nationals, you saw what uh, what Hudson was able to accomplish, and with those wins at East Bay and Volusia, and, uh, I, I, it's it's just it just showed how much Mark Richards can uh, can uh, and can affect a driver's performance and and make them better and. Uh, he's a he's a heck of a talent scout too, you know, because he's the one who saw Mark, uh, Brandon Shepard early before he, uh, you know, when he was back in his family on stuff. And he's also seen uh, Hudson and then and, and like, that's a guy I would love to have in my car. I could see how good he is, especially last year when he ran with him all year. So uh, Mark Richards is my coach. You got the coach K of a uh, dirt late mile race. And I would say, I guess the only, Knock would be that Coach K has five national championships. Mark only has one outdoor victory. Uh, maybe he has more to come with the going with the one and done rule. Maybe the younger guys, as you see with Hudson O'Neill, he's kind of like the you know fresh faced, not a been around a while, but you, you know what I mean. Not like he won't be there one time, one year. But I'm just saying, kind of getting the freshman and maybe he can get him to gel and get a big time victory at the Big E. Uh, Robert Holman, who you got? Well, first of all, 
um, when you were rattling off those basketball coaches and you, and you didn't say John Calipari, I mean, first of all, I was, I'm insulted personally, uh, that, that you didn't put him cause you go back and look at his wins. And by the time he's done, if he stays at Kentucky, another eight to 10 years, he will be the wingiest basketball coach in college history. So um, you heard that right here. Uh, anyway, moving on, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to forgive you for that, Derek. Try. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, a guy who is close to me, and that's Shane McDowell. Uh, he's a car owner slash crew chief. Uh, he was a driver who gave up driving to help his brother further his career back in the mid nineties. So he can still get in a car and go out and feel it out and test it out. If he wants to, uh, Shane and his wife, uh, Sarah have pieced together a very nice race team. They, they work on a, a, a schedule that's, uh, that fits them. There's enough big money races in East Tennessee and, and the surrounding area where they don't have to travel uh, great distances to to make ends meet and to do what they what they want to do. Um, and of course, he does have a great driver and his brother Dale McDowell. But uh, Shane Shane works tirelessly on that uh, that, and he's very very smart, smartest guys uh, in the pit area. So uh, so if I have to if if Mark Richards is off the table and, and there we've had this conversation uh, a few weeks ago about crew chiefs and stuff. Uh, maybe when Randall, uh, when Randall left, um, best motorsports and there was uh, and I went, there was a couple that, that we may have overlooked and it's really irritates me now that I can't think of those who in the hell it was that we've overlooked. But, uh, but so forgive me if you're a great crew chief and I've overlooked you. I apologize. But uh, for this particular exercise, I'm going Shane McDowell and uh, and having no regrets because I think that he has what it takes to get it done. Yeah, and he kind of started that program from the you know the bottom up. So a lot of coaches that we've seen in the college football or excuse me college basketball. Uh, era have definitely done that. Jim Beheim comes to mind. He's definitely, you know, started at Syracuse and created that thing for the last, you know, 40, 45 plus years, it seems like. Kyle, how about you? <laughs> I was sitting here thinking about, okay, how do we follow up from Mark Richards and Shane McDowell? I think there's really only, I mean, there's a bunch of guys out there, right, that that have a wealth of knowledge that can absolutely steer a race program, help a driver um, better himself, herself. But I was just sitting here thinking and like, why not hire Scott Bloomquist, right? For as a, as a coach, uh, coach specifically, right? Mentor, uh, on track mentor specifically, right? And so, um, you know, he, he was, you know, one guy that came to my mind and and last October, obviously, uh, when Garrett Smith won the Dirt Track World Championship. Um, who knows if Garrett would have won that race or not without Scott's advice. 
you know, not taken away from Garrett's talents or if he would have gotten of the job done without Scott's advice and assistance before that race or just like leaning into that race. But it, um, I mean, like, you know, I don't know what Scott Bluquist is going to do for the rest of the year. We haven't really heard as to what's next for him. And so maybe it is driver coaching. Maybe it is that route. Right. And so um, just kind of thinking back to last year and into how he, he helped Garrett Smith to that, you know, unprecedented dirt track world championship. And so um, another guy too, that comes to mind who is uh, more rooted uh, in the car, car building business. And that's Barry Wright. I think that Barry Wright could also be uh, that cornerstone or he is a cornerstone uh, kind of fixture in, in our sport. And so I would definitely hire him, right. If I had to, um, you know, have somebody oversee my race program and, and, uh, you know, build a, a car that is durable and, and capable of getting to victory lane. And while also having the knowledge to back it too, in terms of driver, uh, just like know how, and, and just how to get around a racetrack and just like somebody who's seen pretty much almost every racetrack there is in the country that is on the dirt lane model schedule. So, uh, another guy too, is Robbie Allen. Uh, Greg Satterley's crew chief. And so um, I know we're only supposed to name one, but uh, those are Kyle's putting together are... an entire staff, an entire staff. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, we said I one like coach, it. one coach. I mean, he's going to have a hell of a budget for this, uh, for, for all the guys he's hiring. Right. Robert, man, yes, like, not, yes, just, absolutely. look at the salaries he's I mean, paying like out for all these guys, the dream team. First two picks, so it's like a, a snake draft, right? You know what I mean? You guys, uh, I pick almost last, and Derek and I get a few, you know, to pick from, right? Oh, I got a great <laughs> one to pick. I'm not worried. All right. Well, I think I'm finished, so I think I ran out of budget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going with the guy that's got the bag. I'm going to go with the guy that knows how to pick out a, a good driver. I'm going to go, you know, maybe we're going to – have some NCAA infractions because we're getting the guy, the money guys going out there. But I mean, Lance Landers, how could you not pick him? Uh, he was smart enough to hire Jonathan Davenport, and obviously they built a dynasty, a great success story. There's a lot of money backing into that team. They, you know, their race shop's phenomenal. He loves going to the races. He's proud of his uh, drivers when they win. Seems like he's always a good time. I'm, I mean, Lance Landers, no doubt. We're going to get the money guy, and we're going to create this dynasty from the bottom up, Kovac. Yeah, it's a, he's got a good pick there. Yeah, that's a good angle to take there. It's a little bit different than just being the crew chief uh, type that we're that we're talking about. Um, that's working as long on the as car I don't get the, the death time. penalty, you know. Yeah, but you need to have someone that puts it all together and makes it all happen and and, and allows it to happen and is uh is going to have the money to make it happen. So that, you know, that, Lance well, Landers, Lance Landers he, he, will be doing that for me. And I, I know that he takes a lot of – he talks to John. He's talked to Jonathan Davenport a lot. He talked when, you know, Jason Durham was the crew chief for all long. You know, he, he would keep those guys pumped up uh, if they have any, you know, struggles during the season. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a quality of a good head coach. 
All right, so I'm going to Vegas this weekend for my bachelor party. I get married. Woo! 21 oh, days. Suave. 21 be days suave. this Saturday. So I want you guys to give me some money, place a future bet on what's going to happen this season. Maybe it's a driver winning a championship. Maybe it's a guy winning a certain crown jewel. Just something like that. So Kovac, to let because Robert kind of didn't get really the idea here. Kovac. What a future bet do you want me to place out in Las Vegas this weekend at the Flamingo for a future in dirt late model racing? Well, I'll put some money down on Ryan Gustin uh, to win a big one this year. How about like, uh, let's put it down. If we're going to pick one, I mean, I know he's going to win races this year with that Talon center as his crew chief. Uh, he already won that race at East Bay during the winter nationals. He's going to come. He's going to have a good year. Top five in points, I think, with the World of Outlaws, I'm feeling. Uh, and also, he's going to win, let's say, the Mississippi Thunder World of Outlaws race for $50,000. Be his first big, you know, real big money uh, outlaw win. Put your money down on him right now. I think, I mean, you're going to, he's not the overwhelming favorite, uh, obviously. Uh, he can't be since he's never won one of those big races yet, but he has had success there. And I feel like you might get some good odds and make some money, putting some money down on Ryan Gustin. So when you get out there, when you're not at the pool, uh, hanging out and drinking your beers and uh, drinking your bush lattes uh, and getting some, <laughs> which you don't do not get sunburned, D Suave. Okay. It's supposed Hopefully, to be I'm not sure how hot it's going to be. So I don't think I will. All right. Well, then you then we're okay. Then you're okay. You won't be getting you won't be getting your uh, usual. Uh, PDC sunburn that you usually get. That's a makes it it's as, as uh, red as your shirt there. Uh, but uh, once you're all done with that, go down, <laughs> go to the sports book, put some money on Ryan Gustin to win that uh, that May race at uh, Mississippi Thunder. All right, I'll go next. Uh, give Robert another another chance to see what I'm going to do here. I'm going to go with a future that any Illinois driver will win the World 100 this year. We only got one. Bobby Pierce picked up the W. I'm going to go with my home state, boys. I'm going to let it ride. I feel like the last couple years, other than Sheppy and Bobby, we really haven't been making that much noise. I know Bab won a prelim, but when the big bright lights come on, it seems like the Lena Lincoln drivers kind of take a step back, specifically since, you know, last when Bobby Pierce and Dennis Herb Jr. won it. I know Brandon Shepard won it in 2019. So I'm going to go with an Illinois driver to win the World 100 this year. I think that's going to happen. Uh, and I think I might parlay it with those three guys, or will be one of them too. I think it'll be either Dennis Herb Jr., Bobby Pierce, or Brandon Shepard. So, Robert, that is my bet, my future. I'll be placing at the Flamingo that an Illinois Landon Lincoln driver will win the World 100 on Saturday. How about you, buddy? Um, well, I like yours, but I'm going to I'm going to kind of play it safe, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and and lay my lay my money down. And I'm going to say that Mike uh, that Mike Marler wins uh, that Mike Marler is going to win the Knoxville Lucas Oil Nationals. Uh, that's uh, I know it's kind of a safe bet, but it is a long ways off. Uh, he's got good history there, and I feel comfortable going ahead and laying that down this early in the season. Uh, my money is on Mikey to to pick up another Lucas Oil uh, Knoxville Nationals win. How's that? I love it. He's uh, very good at the Iowa track. So Mike Marler. But they always say the safe bets always win. It might cost you more money to win money. But at the end of the day, usually those are the ones that uh, 
uh, gets you the W's, gets you a paycheck. But those are the ones you don't read on social media when somebody hits like a 15-part team parlay. So you'll just be collecting your money and while the other people are losing their money because they're going they're going out of control like me and Kovac here. So, Kyle, what do you got for your last uh, future pick that you want me to make in Vegas this weekend? Yeah, well, Robert's going to make you wait till September. If you want quick cash, I'd put some money down on Brian Shirley to win the Illini 100 next weekend and take the points lead in the World of Outlaws, too. So if you want to double down, I would put some money there on Brian there Shirley to uh, take from that. Yeah, to take home that $25,000 next uh, Saturday at Farmer City and take the points lead from uh, Chris Madden. 14 points back going into your land of Lincoln there, uh, Derek. So some home cooking there for Brian Shirley and, and some quick cash too. I like it. I like it a lot. We're going to end the show with one more thing. Uh, eeny, meeny, miny. Robert, you can go first. Uh, I don't really have a tremendous amount uh, this week. I just know that uh, my home track, Duck River Speedway, is uh, having its season opener. Uh, limited late model race, paying a little bit of extra money. And just a little bit further down the road, about 50 miles further down the road at Tennessee National, they're also uh, having a, a season opener for limited late models paying 1500 to win. So uh, that's where with the uh, postponement of the XRSS race at, at uh, Bulls Gap, which is where I was supposed to go, uh, I am now getting to stay home and take my, my own race car to one of these limited late model races. So likely we will show up at one of those two tracks to, to try our luck with our little bitty crate motor against these uh these limited late model motors that have about 250 more horsepower that for some reason uh promoters think that it's fair but whatever we're it's the, it's the hand we're dealt we're gonna go play it and uh see what happens this weekend the duck i like it uh one of robert holman's closest tracks and that he races at every week with or not every week but a majority of the year with his uh, Jimmy Gray Motorsports. So best of luck, Co or, uh, Robert. Hope you can get that W, uh, that Swath Talk sponsored car. I, I think I need to re-up my sponsorship, though. Yeah, yes, yes, uh, yes, you do. Uh, we can. Uh, I can get that paperwork in the mail for you. I can email it to you. We can send it across <laughs> Slack, whatever. Whatever needs to, to happen, we can, we can make that happen today, in fact. All right, sounds good. Uh, my one more thing is, Weather permitting, who knows, it might be postponed by tomorrow, but the Thaw Brawl there at Davenport, Iowa. Uh, first time to see a lot of the Lane of Lincoln drivers. First time to get to see one of the Iowa drivers. Minnesota, kind of that mid upper Midwest region. Going to be duking it out for a two-day show Friday and Saturday with a big pay uh, payout, I think $20,000 on uh, Saturday night. And a track that has proved itself to be one of the raciest tracks in the nation here in the last two or three years. So, be sure to check it out. You'll see all the heavy hitters from Illinois because the national series are off and the, you know, spring thaw got postponed until April down there in volunteer. So if they can get it in, we might see a decent and great car count in a stack field with great and phenomenal racing there in Davenport, Iowa, the Tony Izzo thaw bra. Come back. How about you? We'll let Kyle finish it off last. So Kevin, you're next. 
I go back on that that fall brawl there too. I mean, you said yeah that with that hundred thousand dollar to win race that that volunteer being uh, postponed for several couple weeks, three weeks I think it is. Uh, it should help out the the Davenport field. I know I already seen Tanner English. Uh, with Viper Motorsports car, he plans to go, and that's a big, uh, that's a big, that's very notable because Tanner English runs very well at uh, at Davenport Speedway. You know, just last year, uh, he won twice uh, during the World of Outlaws three-day weekend. A uh, place he loves uh, is Davenport, and he had planned to go to Bulls Gap originally, so now they head out there instead. And uh, hopefully, that race does get in. I mean, and I, I, w- I would keep my eye on Tanner English. Uh, maybe he gets his first win with the Viper Motorsports car. Yeah, and he got the big-time wins there last year. And uh, I think one of the races got top five races of the year when he passed Bobby with only one or two laps to go. So Tanner Eagle should be definitely a great pick to maybe show up in Iowa and get the big W. Kyle McFadden, finish it off for us. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to Michael Rouse, $10,000 winner this past weekend with the Steel Block Bandits at Halifax down in North North Carolina. And so uh, working on a story on him. So check that out this week on the website on Dirt on Dirt. And so even though there's all these cancellations, it seems like uh, across the whole country, there's still stories to cover and still stories to read over at, at uh, Dirt on Dirt. Yes, be sure to check out all the race wires. Be sure to check out the weekly notebooks, the fast talk, dirt reporters, all stuff in between. We got live races at Flow. We'll have a swap talk uh, releasing later today with Gordy Gundaker previewing, you know, the fall brawl and just uh, his upcoming season and stuff like that. Till next time, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for watching.